It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show, where we are redefining good business. Uh, today's guest is a very interesting guest. His name is Art Barter, um, and he has a lot of incredible experience. So we were really excited to get him on the show. Uh, he founded the Servant Leadership Institute. So we are going to be talking about leadership today. And something that really stood out to me is he he took a company uh, organization from ten million dollars. It was a ten million dollar company and turned it into a $200 million company across the period of just six years. And this is based on his transformation from a power model to a servant-based leadership model, which means putting people first. Um, so we're going to really dive into that and how that works. He's also an author. He wrote um, Farmer Abel, a fable about servant leadership. Um, and he's uh, also written a book called The Art of Servant Leadership, How You Get Results is More Important Than the Results Themselves. Um, so there's a lot we're going to talk about when it comes to leadership today that is obviously going to be the focus. Um, in other news, we do want to give you an update on the Change Creator app. So we recently just released a great interview with Russell Brunson. He's the founder of QuickFunnels that is now available in the app. You can check it out. And this is actually our first single story. So we have magazines and we're going to start playing around with some single releases as well. So you will start seeing some more frequency of releases um, and different kinds of releases. So not just magazines, but other things as well. So this is our first of that type of series, which is a single, um, and we hope you can check it out. This will make it easier to find specific things um, and dive into specific stories. So this is a single interview, and it has a full feature story. It has the live interview with it. Um, this is delivered in the app, and you can get it if you're a subscriber. Remember, guys, we changed the model. This is like Netflix now. If you are a subscriber, you have access to all the content in the app. This is now the new model, and hopefully this will give you more content to dive into. I mean, it's endless. We have over 16, 17 editions in there, um, event guides, um, you know, all kinds of goodies in there. So check it out, and you can expect some further updates uh, technologically with how we search and organize the content. So more to come on those things. All right, guys, don't forget to stop by the iTunes store. Leave us a review for the podcast, for the app, all that good stuff. It helps us tremendously, and we really appreciate it. Um, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Art. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Art, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Adam. Uh, hope you're doing well uh, as well. I am hanging out here right. in South Florida, keeping keeping warmer than warm. <laughs> oh, oh, is that right? Well, I'm, I'm down in San Diego, so we're... Uh <laughs> Our summer's starting to get started, but not probably not like yours out there. Yeah, we've so. been hitting the uh, low 90s so far, and it's uh, thick and muggy, that's for sure. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> I feel for you. I'm not going to lie, though. I like it. <laughs> oh, you do, huh? Okay. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, San Diego, you know, oddly enough, I've never been to San Diego. I did. I speak with uh, John Lee Dumas here and there, another big podcaster, and he, um, he was out in San Diego, and he moved to 
Puerto Rico, but um, I hear lots of good things. Yeah, you got to get out of here, Adam. Yeah, because once you do, you'll, you'll be coming back once a year, at least once a year. Yep. <laughs> yep. Awesome. So you have a lot that you've been working on throughout your career when it comes to leadership, and you have a terminology that you use, servant leadership, um, and you define this as action. So um, there's some interesting stuff. You know, I was actually on Amazon looking at one of your books, um, one of your three books, and it talks about how in 2004 you purchased Daytron World Communications. So I think there's some major milestones. And if in a nutshell, you could just tell people some what the, the, the nutshell bio is for you um, of these key milestones and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. You know, I started my career at Disney uh, when I was in high school. I was a, jan- a janitor. We called ourselves sweepers because that was a better, you know, made us feel better. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, Disney put me through school. And when I graduated from school, I had two degrees, one in business, one in finance, and um, went to work uh, in their finance group. And, you know, Disney's a big organization, great organization. Um but, you know, once people go to work for them, they don't go anywhere else. So you get in line to get promoted and the opportunities come a little bit slower. And that frustrated me. Young, young man out of college thinking he's got the world by the tail. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I left Disney, went to work for a, a small, smaller public company that was a manufacturing company. And um, it was an interesting transition, but what I found out was I love to build things. And I've been involved with manufacturing companies my entire career. Uh, since I left Disney. So I love to build things. Um, one of the companies I worked for had did about 20% of the business in the international uh, world outside the United States and uh, had exposure to some international business. And I really loved that. I loved dealing with the different cultures, with the different people. And so then I started focusing on finding companies that did business internationally. And I found this company called Daytron World Communications. Uh, here in, in San Diego in, in a city called Escondido, who 90% of their revenue was sold in the international marketplace. And they were selling in countries that I had never heard of before. <laughs> and one of the countries was Sri Lanka. And I said, I have to go to work for this company just to find out where Sri Lanka is. <laughs> and um, so my international business, along with my manufacturing experience, I'm, I'm, I'm trained in finance and business. But I love to build things, so I've spent a lot of my time in running operations as well. And so I went to work for Daytron in 97. Uh, Daytron sold out to Titan Corporation uh, a couple of years after that. And while at Titan, um, they did a lot of services, not a lot of products, and ended up at the end of 2004 ha- having an opportunity to buy the company. Hmm. Um, I was in the power I call it the power world public companies. Um, and it was all about what you're going to do for the quarter. Um, didn't matter, you know, how you treated employees. It was, what are you going to, what are we going to be able to, you know, put out there for our shareholders and, um, and spent a lot of my career sacrificing my family time, um, to build my career. And I got burned so many times by companies that I said, you know what? Uh, when I got burned with a company here in San Diego with Titan, I said, you know, I'm tired of this stuff. 
I'm tired of having to sacrifice my life for the for the companies I work for. And you know, I've been in senior uh, finance operation roles for for quite a while. I was general manager of Daytron World at the time um, uh, for a couple of years and had an opportunity to buy the company. Right. And so I made an offer in November uh, of 2004. We closed the deal. And I owned a company that was doing $10 million and losing money. And I loved the, the countries that we served. I loved the international business. I believed in the products. I loved to build things. And my wife and I, Lori, said, you know what? I, I don't want to run this like a regular corporation. I don't want to run it with the power model. We're going to run it differently. And we decided that servant leadership was what we wanted to do. Now, prior to buying the company in 2004, I met Ken Blanchard personally for the first time. I read all his books and admired him, but I had a chance to meet him in April of 2003. And he challenged uh, a group of leaders that he was meeting with to be servant leaders. And so he introduced me to it, challenged me to change the way I thought about leadership yeah. and had a year to study it. And so when we were bought the company, we said, you know what, we want to run it with servant leadership uh, practices and behaviors. And so we started that process in 2005 uh, in changing the culture. We changed the mission and purpose. Uh, Daytron World had been around since the 70s, so it, it had a culture of its own. Right. And we, we, went, we went to change it, came up with a new set of values, new mission and purpose. And we had to define what servant leadership was to our team here. And we ended up with, a, a, I think, a pretty simple um, definition. We said we, our job is to inspire our employees with you know, a great mission and purpose, um, work and live in our values. Um, and then we said, then we need to equip people to be able to go after that mission and purpose. Right. And we decided to focus on serving first instead of profits first. So let's and just so, pause there, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's yeah just sure. So, so that's interesting. And, and that's what I, I just want to tap into something really quick. And that is you talked about the power model. And I think, um, and let me know if you agree, but there's a lot of that. I mean, obviously, this is what Change Creator is all about. So it catches my attention. And this is what we're seeing more companies um, tra uh, transform to, right? So right. whether it's servant leadership, you know, as you define it specifically, but it is a model that's trying to balance the social profit and the financial profit. So can you just tell me, and you started defining it, you started talking about values and stuff like that, but how, what, what distinctly was the major shift? And I'm curious to know how the employees received it throughout the first year when you go from the power model to this servant leadership model where you now you're focusing on people and, and outcomes in that way first. So can right. you just talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about your first question first. Uh, and an easy way to think about this, you know, in the power model world, the corporate world, um, leaders have are in love with power. And in the servant leadership model, uh, what we try and do is show the power of love. Mm -hmm. uh, so we care about our, our, our employees. We care about, about what, they, what they want to accomplish in their life, not just accomplish between eight and five while they're in our, in our building. But the, but the big difference for us was our number one value, and it's the top of the list, and we're serious about this, is our families come first. Okay. 
We don't want people to look at Datron and go, that's the company that took my grandfather, my father, my mom, my sister. My they, they took the people I love most away from me because all they did was demand that they work 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week, used them. They got frustrated. We wanted people, when they heard the word Datron, to feel good about working here. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so when we started, uh, you know, CEO of a, of a company that I owned, I go, okay, I'm, I'm going to make the announcement that we're going to be a servant-led organization. Okay. And I said, okay. So after the first year, I look around and I got one or two people on my leadership team follow me. The rest of them are sitting back going and, and saying, I think this is just the latest and greatest fad that leadership is trying because that's what all the leaders did before. And Daytron over the years is they try whatever was in the latest and greatest publication of HBR or, you know, some other magazine. And, and we tried for, for 12 months and it doesn't work. So we'll, we're going to wait for the next one and see what really sticks. It's the new leadership diet plan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you go, okay, so how do I get people to own it? And so one uh, of our quarterly management meetings, I said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to go off and meet in three different small groups. We had about 35 leaders at the time. And I want you guys to come back with 10 characteristics that you feel a good servant leader should be. And they did. And I said, okay, they, all three groups presented what they thought. I said, now you guys work as a team and come up with the top 10 out of the, the items that you can see here. Give me the top 10. They came back in about an hour hour and a half and said, this is what we think a good servant leader is. And I said, great, that's what we're going to, that's how, where we're going to start. We're going to start with your definition of what you believe a servant leader should be. Yeah. And when I look back at that moment, that was the moment that I transferred ownership in the culture to my leadership team. It wasn't my definition anymore. It was their definition. Right. And when we let them and empower them to take ownership in that culture, guess what happens? Now it becomes theirs. Right. They, they feel so the, like they, they have more skin in the game. Right, exactly. And so we did a 360. We, we agreed that on those 10 characteristics, we're going to do a 360 evaluation on everybody on the leadership team, including me. Yep. So we're going to do surveys and rate everybody on where you think they are in each characteristic, and that's what we're going to start. And then once we have those results, we're going to take our two lowest items, that we were rated on and we're going to commit to the team. That's what we're going to work to improve in the next year. Right. And so everybody made that presentation. And since I'm the leader of the group, the CEO, guess who made the first presentation? I had to lead the way. So I did my <laughs> presentation first, which wasn't easy, Adam. Yeah. Because uh, I found out some things about me that I thought I was doing well in that I was really not doing very well in. <laughs> yeah, damn. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Um, so what I found out is I can announce it and I can say, we're going to do this, but if I don't follow it up with good behaviors and support people and help them transform their behaviors, um, they need to be part of the ownership of that culture. And when you do that, um, and then with the employees, we said, you know, our purpose as a company is to positively impact the lives of others, uh, today and in the future. That's what we want to do. Uh, our full mission and purpose is to be a profitable, self-sustaining communications company because we sell radios, communication company that positively impacts the lives of others today and in the future. So we have to be profitable. We have to be self-sustaining. We're not going to do it through debt. We're going to grow through 
organic funds, so we don't believe in debt. So I don't have any any debt in the company, which mm-hmm. is which is amazing. And but we said the people need to be able to live the purpose of the company about positively impacting people's lives. We do that with customers. So we decided to set aside 10% of our operating profit every quarter into a charitable fund for the company. Okay. Uh, We don't take requests from anyone outside the company. Employees are the ones that decide where that money goes. And so we have a charitable fund committee that that gets requests from employees on where they would like to donate money to, to nonprofits. And, of course, there's, we have to go through and verify that they're all valid nonprofits in good standing with the IRS and 501c3s. <laughs> but they now get to give that money to organizations that have made a difference in their life and their family. So they get to give back to some of those organizations that have helped them. So I have the best job in the world because the heart of our employees comes out through the charitable fund on what's on their heart. And that's a requirement we have. Share with us why you want to make a contribution to this organization. Why is this organization on your heart? Right, right. Don't tell me about all the financials. I want to know why it's important to you. Mm-hmm. And that's how we were able to engage employees in the new culture is give them an opportunity to give away money. And so if you think about it, someone who's making 15 or $20 an hour submits a grant request for $10,000 for a charitable fund. And it gets approved. They've now made a big difference in an organization that's helped help them or their family. That's yeah. pretty cool stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, now you're you're essentially it's like you know simply. So you sell a radio, so it's per, giving purchasing the purchasing power contributes to a purpose, basically. Right, and they and they help create the profit. They help create the profit. They help create the the ten percent. They have a, every right to say where that money goes. So here's a question for you. Um, do you ever, or have you ever, or maybe even considered, meaning the more that people can sell, that the the contribution can go higher. So there's an incentive to uh, pursue the business even more. We just say whatever profit we have, operating profit we have, we're going to put aside 10%. Yeah. So if you create more profit for us and, and we build the business and and go crazy. We, we, in, in six, seven years, we went from 10 million up to 200 million. Oh, right. And, right. So it scales. Yeah. And, and it scales. So, you know, if you're, if you're making 25% operating profit on 200 million, you're, you give, you're putting a lot of money aside. In the <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess the more profitable the company, yeah. the more the contribution. Beautiful. Yeah. So, and, and then the community starts to understand what you're doing. And, you know, they want to submit grant requests. We say, no, that, that's not how we operate. We don't accept those. We only accept it from our employees. Mm. Um, and, Adam, since we've started the, the fund, I think we've exceeded $15 million, and we haven't hit the $16 million mark yet of funds that we've given away wow. to nonprofits around the world, around the world. And so it's it's it really helps them live the, the mission and purpose of the company. That's pretty really exciting. And, and what are we doing? We're serving people. We're helping people. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. I love it. Is there a particular uh, fund that has been, um, I guess, a, a choice for you guys? Uh, you know, we, we do um, a lot of work with uh, homeless yeah. organizations okay. here in San Diego. Um, we do some work with the MS group here in San Diego, the Heart Association, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Epilepsy Foundation, cool. uh, wow. a lot of smaller 
organizations that um, you know help people. We we try and keep it to organizations that help people uh, because our, our mission is to our purpose is to positively impact the lives of others. Right. And you know sometimes we get requests for animal shelters and 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 we'll consider those, but it's not our primary purpose. We like to help people. Okay. Uh, yeah. And yeah. So. Uh, we've helped build schools in Africa. We've, we've helped build an orphanage in Vietnam because we have a multicultural, uh, employee base. Our employees come from all over the world. And so they're able to give back to their home countries through charities here, uh, that help make a difference in those countries. And, and that really makes it special for them. You know? Yeah. 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 Very cool. And now I guess to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but, when you guys just stepping back to Daytron World Communications, um, you were able to, I guess, accelerate that organization from a $10 million company to a $200 million company over the span of six years. Is that accurate? That is accurate, yes. Okay, so yeah. now let's break that down a little bit because you have a growth story and this is where you did shift into servant leadership. So what are the big contributing factors? How does that happen? <laughs> that That's a big shift. Yeah. It, you know, uh, the first year we did a plan uh, in 2005, the staff asked me, Art, how much do you want to grow? Do you want to grow 10%, 15%, 20%? And I said, you know what? I, I'm never going to tell you how much we're going to grow. I, I don't want to run my business that way. I've been in that environment for a good chunk of my career. I'm tired of putting plans together based on a 10% increase in revenue. Um, because all you're going to do is take your departmental expenses from last year, increase it by 10%, and, and then we're not going to meet our numbers. So let's stop the nonsense. Let's yeah. just get out of this mode. How about we do this? If we're all about serving customers, how about we make serving customers our number one priority? And that means we ask customers what they need, how can we help them meet their mission, what can we do in products, what can we do to, to maybe offer some additional applications of our products? And why don't we let the customers decide with their checkbook how fast we're going to grow through our service? Why don't we go take care of customers in a way that nobody else is taking care of them and let them see the heart of Daytron and let them decide how fast we're going to grow? And guess what happened? That's what we did. And people go, All right, well, how did you do that? I said, I had a customer uh, in the Middle East who came to me and said, I, you know, I, I want to buy your radios. I've got some of your radios. My, my men and, and women in, in, in the military, they're having a tough time learning your radios. Okay. He says, I need something easy to use. And uh, he says, I've got to deploy people really quick uh, because of some violence that's going on. I want to give them good communications. He says, so I need a, a radio that's easy to use. I said, okay, tell me what you want. He gave me five characteristics, and I said, okay, give me a year. I need a year to develop this radio. I didn't ask him for any money to develop the radio. I said, you know what? I see a need. I believe in the need. I want to help you meet your mission. And in a year, I traveled into that country in the Middle East and delivered the first radio off the production line to the general <laughs> in that military and said, this radio is for you. Wow, and he that's looked an at awesome me story. <laughs> with almost tears in his eyes. He says, Art, he says, no one has ever done this for me before. No one. <laughs> he says, thank you. I have over 40,000 of those radios in that country right now. 
God, it's crazy. Because I took the time to listen to what they needed and then went off and gave them a solution to their problem. And, and yeah. no, nobody else was selling a radio that met that need. This was like, it was that custom and unique. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've, I, I had one of the best, another customer, um, told me in London, we were at, at a trade show in London and he came over to me and he said, Art, we, we have these commemorative coins that are, um, uh, we have a hundred year celebration going on. We only made a hundred of them. And he said, we want Datron to have one of the hundred coins. And he put it in his hand and stuck his hand out and, and, and shook my hand, held onto my hand. and said, Art, I want you to know that you and your people at Datron have served our country from your heart more than any other company we've ever done business with. Wow. That's pretty And I went, if, if that isn't what servant leadership is all about, where customers can see that you really care about them and want to help them be successful and you do it from your heart, not from your pocketbook, guess what? They're going to go back and go, I want to do business with that company. And what I love about it is the big companies we compete against, we, we compete about some big big public companies, they don't understand leading from their heart because it's all about profits. And it sets you apart in the marketplace and they don't understand how you do it. They, we confound some of the big, big defense companies around the world because they don't understand how we, we get this business. <laughs> we get it through our heart, not through our pocketbook. Yeah. So, so I guess I'm curious. I, I think sometimes people mistake this and, you know, especially in young startup world, um, you might be in a position to help people because you have a skill or your service could help them. Um, you're talking about leading from your heart and serving people, but that does not necessarily mean just going above and beyond to do everything for people for free. You still have to run a business, right? Right, right. Exactly. You still have to, you have to make money. I still had a payroll and I had to make payroll, uh, every two weeks when I bought the company. So and I will tell people my, my, my transformation from the power model to the servant leadership model was the most difficult thing I've ever done as a leader, except for being a parent. Uh, it's the most difficult thing because I still had to get results while I was changing the culture. Right. I couldn't put results on hold for 12 or 24 months because I still had to pay people. Right. Right. I still have that responsibility to take care of those lives that are, that are part of the company. And so you can't put things on hold. You have to get results. And so you do it in little chunks and you do it in little things, but you take a different approach. You can't throw out what you're doing. I bought a company that had a 30-year history. And so I had to serve the customers that I already had. So I had to do it over time. I couldn't do it all at one time. And uh, what we learned through that process is when you start doing leadership training, it will take about five years to see a dramatic result from that leadership training. If you go in like I did and change a culture in a company that already has a culture, yeah. it's going to take you eight years to change that culture. Oh, my eight God. Years. <laughs> eight years. And I can, tell, I can name off companies that will say, Art, you're exactly right. It takes eight years to change a culture in a company that already exists. If you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting your company, make sure you know what your purpose is. Make sure you have values. And the most important thing is don't compromise on your mission, purpose, and your values. Don't compromise to get business. Yeah. Stick to your values and do it the right way. And right. don't get off track just to get business because it will come back and haunt you. 
big time. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we can just dig into that just a little bit more. I know you have a few books out here. Um, I think you wrote the one, The Art of Servant Leadership, and how, how you get results is more important than the results themselves. And, you know, when you have a mission, um, you know, the first thing you hear about a mission-focused company is there's a stigma that people, and I'm going to go back to this, is, well, then you guys probably aren't making a lot of money. And I have found that that's not necessarily true, especially as more consumers demand, um, you know, that a company puts morals back into its workflow, right? And it actually is serving a purpose. Um, And one thing that even we have learned, you know, over at Change Creator is there was a lot of wanting to help. Like when you come from that mindset, you want to help people, you want to give a hand up and you end up doing a lot um, at no cost. So that's why I said what I said before is you still have to be smart about how you manage and make sure you always think about what you're doing as a business and that you're monetizing (laughs) what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with making money and still serving that purpose. Yeah, and, and I'll share with you one thing that we decided that we wanted to do in our business model is we wanted to focus on selling product to the international community and then servicing that product. What we didn't want to create was a repair business for that product to where the customer had to send that equipment back to San Diego, right. get repaired, and then return to that country. If you if you take into consideration the cost of freight, the cost of of doing customs clearances in both countries and import and ex- it's impossible to get product back here to repair. So our approach is we wanted to help our representatives that we hired to work for us mm. in that country. We wanted to set them up to be a lab to where they could do the repairs right there in that country. Gotcha. So warranty res- warranty support was being done in country. We wanted to make sure that they were close to the customer and when the warranty period expired and they had repairs, guess what? That rep who was part of our team now had a repair business that they got to operate and they could do it in the local currency, local languages. They didn't have to send equipment back to us. Yep. We would support them with product. We would support them with spare parts and te- and you know technology support with technicians. But we didn't want the radios to come back here. for. We didn't want a repair business. We wanted that business to be in country because that was the best way to serve the customer. Yeah, that's a good example. And, yep. and, and to, to be, people get it, I want to do everything. No, do what you do best. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Do what you do best. Because there's so many the people get overwhelmed when we hear people uh, through our mentorship program come to us all the time and they are overwhelmed with the level of decisions that are available to them and that they have to make. And it's hard for them to choose, well, what's the best direction to go? And right. I think that's exactly it. You know, um, even if it's tactical, it could be if you're a good writer, then write. If you're good at doing videos, do videos, whatever it might be. But always lean into the skills that you have. A good, a good leader will determine, help, help people determine what their gifts are and then put their gifts to work in their company to fulfill the requirements they have. Yeah. And Adam, I can't tell you how many people we put in different positions because they were, they were put in position out of college or that's what they've been doing all their life. And they're going, are you happy doing that? And we're going, no, I'm not happy doing that. What do you like to do? And I have one gentleman on staff, he loves to fight fires. He's great at fighting fires. <laughs> and when he, he was in purchasing and, and he, and, you know, when we needed stuff quick and had problems, he was great. But when the department was running smoothly, he was bored. So I said, we need to put you somewhere else. How about we put you in facilities where if something goes down the building, it, it's always an emergency. 
complaining about air conditioning or, you know, this doesn't work. That, and he loved it. Yeah. And he came back and thanked me after it took him about two years to adjust. But he says, all right, no one ever took the time to help me figure out what I love to do. <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing, too, because I hear a lot of people talk about, well, you know, you need to lead with, you know, putting people first and do all these things. And I was a manager at WebMD and I had a team and um, I always was putting in different practices and trying to create more appreciation and team camaraderie and things like that. Um, and it is very very, very difficult because everyone has these um, previous lines of thought that they believe are right, right? Instead of the new approach to trying something. And right. so when you hear someone like yourself talk about these things, and you hear it a lot, you know, at lead with empathy and things like that. So but then it's nice to hear your stories because you have to understand, well, what does that look like in practice? Like, how do I even start approaching something like this with a small team or a startup? So so let me ask you, if you're a startup and you're saying, you know, don't lose focus from your mission. But what is that when you're working with clients and you're getting going and you're building your team and say you start hiring your first uh, couple people, your co-founder, stuff like that. How do you start creating that culture from the start? Like any any thoughts that you can share for for us young startups? Yeah, sure. You know, if you're clear on your values and what you want to do with your company and who you want to serve, make sure you hire people who are on board with what you want to do. And what I like to uh, advise leaders to do is hire for character first, competency second. Second, so hire for character first. Look for the right character, and then look at their resume for their competency. Okay. And when you hire for character first and you get the right person with the right heart who wants to help you accomplish your mission, guess what? Uh, you can take their competency level or skill level and, and teach them and help them learn in that area. It's really difficult to change somebody's character. Yes, 100%. Right? Uh, so if you hire the wrong person, guess what? You're going to be in hiring mode in another 90 to 180 days or however long it takes you to figure out you hired the wrong person. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. I I always look for uh, people who want to help people. Our common bond within Daytron and, and what I look for in leaders is people who want to help people. And if you want to help people, but you've never worked in a servant led organization before, that's okay because I just want to know that in your heart you want to help people be successful. Right. Right. And that's the bond that keeps us together. So we always want to help each other. Um. And so I, I, we look at character first and competency second. Um, and then, like I said before, don't don't when you when you got your values and your your purpose and you run into some tough times or some struggles, don't don't compromise your values. When times get tough, um, you know, we want to make sure that we stick to the mission and the values ultimately. Um, and, you know, I stick think. To it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And. I think you shared a lot of very valuable insights and your latest book, you did a contribution, right? Um, I had that open and I just lost that. What can you just give a shout out? Let's say, tell people what that last book is, um, that they can check out. Yeah. My latest book we just released here, uh, last month, the art of servant leadership Two. Yes. Uh, details the journey that we took at Daytron, what we implemented and, um, really gets into the details and tells some of the, the success stories, tells some of the, where the areas where we struggled, uh, what's important. Um, 
And it, it just gets into the whole story of Datron and, and how we transform the culture. Um, and it's a, it's a lot of fun to read. We included a lot of stories and a lot of pictures so you kind of get a, an idea of what the culture is all about. So, um, um, yeah, get, have, have folks get out and, and get it. And we'd love to have people read about us and, yeah. And, uh, well, listen, I think you don't that get you more shared, familiar with servant leadership. Exactly. And I think, I think it's an important shift in the mindset, right? And that's, that's really what it comes down to It's it's how you think about things and your intentions behind the decisions that you make. And it sounds like, you know, you shared a lot of, um, nice insights around it today. And, and if anybody listening wants that deep dive to get the stories, the details, the successes, um, to just better understand how this is actually, um, you know, put into action, then this book will be exactly what you're looking for. So definitely recommend it. Uh, Art, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat and share your success story with us today. Um, it's quite quite a big one. So we, we really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks. And your audience, if you want more information on Servant Leadership, just go to ServantLeadershipInstitute.com. Or do a search on my name and a whole bunch of stuff will pop up. But, um, yeah, I encourage you. We'd love to help people uh, transform their themselves and their organizations Perfect. in leading in a different way from their heart. Yeah. So, Adam, thank you for the time. And my apologies for the technology blips here. But uh, <laughs> I enjoyed spending time with you and, and your audience today. So thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, Art. Until we talk again, we appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 